0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Rest is Education. I'm David Marshall discussing the question why should we teach classics? Here with me are Annabelle, former classics teacher and head of classics. She is at Classics for All currently as network and training manager, and Julia Gray, author, musician, and classics teacher. Julia, Anna, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having having us.
0: I've given you both a very dry, pretty functional intro, and I'm spectacularly underselling you both. So, firstly, Anna. It's important to mention perhaps that we went to school together um, for at least two years at St. James's and have remained firm friends ever since, and I think we've spent a lot of time discussing teaching over the years. You're now working for Classics for All, which is a super exciting organisation. Can you tell us a little bit about the organisation and what they do?
2: Sure. Um, So Classics for All is a charity. We give totally free support and funding um, to schools to help primary and secondary state schools across the UK. So we have networks all the way from the southwest all the way up to Scotland, Wales, London so London southeast, east of the country, so Cambridge. We have uh, networks in the north, Midlands, all around. And we, we support state schools to get classical education into their schools um, so they can get Latin, ancient Greek, classical civilization, ancient history, um, and we will train up their teachers from scratch to deliver those subjects. We also offer free CPDs on word roots and etymology to help help teachers understand the importance of word roots um, and how that can help their children's vocabulary development. All our trainers are either ex-teachers or current teachers, um, so they're experienced, they're knowledgeable, and they are fully trained themselves. And once they have that initial support from us. They can come back to us again and again and ask for support again. And it all continues to be free. And We are a charity. We do not charge for our services at all. So it's a really fantastic organisation. And I feel really, really lucky to be part of it because having been a classics teacher myself in state schools and seen the importance of a classical education, which obviously we're talking about today, it's really fantastic to be able to support other schools to get it going. We have about, I think, 12 to 1500 schools plus across the uk majority secondary but you know we have lots of primaries as well i can't remember the exact ratio but sort of 60 40 70 30 kind of percentage so it's still a huge amount of primary schools across the uk and i know that's something we might talk about later but it's a really great start for classics is in primary schools
0: Fantastic. Yeah. And definitely you've raised a lot of things that I want to go into later. I don't know a lot about classics myself. Probably the most I get is from English is sort of like in a reverse way, because literature in the Western canon has so much origin in classics. And I sort of have discovered it through reading books and, and poems and other things and teaching them. So yeah, let's delve into that a little bit more in a bit. And that Classics for All sounds fantastic. I think it, what they're doing sounds brilliant. We can maybe ask you a few more questions about, about that. Julia, I'm going to turn to you now. Um, Julia, uh, you and I have talked together and I think fully share a love of teaching, but also poetry, literature, children's literature in particular. You took an MA in children's literature, I believe, before writing three books yourself, as well as being a classics teacher and, as mentioned before, a musician. Super talented in so many different fields. Julia i wanted to ask you first of all the question which is why teach classics
1: why should we teach classics is a question that comes up you know parents will come up to me uh, and ask me and my response is always well how much time do you have um because i can talk for a really long time at which point they sometimes start to look a bit sort of desperate and start backing away i mean one thing that always strikes me is that there is something in Classics, or or even just just to slim it down, just to Latin. There's something for everyone, um, and it's all about if you're starting the child is like nine or ten or eleven, just finding out what it is that really sparks their interest. And for some children, it's it's words. And, and language, and they can see the kind of richness of it and the derivations, and they start to get really excited by it. Maybe they speak French or they speak Spanish, and they're starting to kind of link it up. And you can see um, how how amazing they they find it. Um, other children who are the sort of more mathematical ones, they like the structure of it and and the sort of the logic, and they start problem solving and and they start trying to predict what the next step in the sequence is going to be. And you can kind of um, infuse them sort of from that perspective. There are the ones that are in it for the myth and the history um and i'll always try and weave myth into my lessons um it's it's a bit harder to do that now than it used to be because myth uh, the classical civilization bit has been taken out of um the common entrance syllabus for latin but i do it anyway and we can talk about myth more um but because i feel like it's so fundamental um or there's the the ones that are interested in the history roman history um so there's kind of no shortage of of ways that you can Get into Latin, um, or indeed to Greek, if you're going to do Greek as well, or indeed just to classical civilization. Um, and then because it lends itself so well to all these other kind of cross curricular links and activities whether that's art whether that's history whether it's english last year um, at school we did myth day and that was an interdepartmental celebration of mythology and it was world myth um, and it was just a really nice way for the english department and the classics department to meet up and plan something so you know you can never run out of good reasons why that's my view
0: absolutely and You've got so many things there. We're talking about Latin, we're talking about myth, we're talking about language and roots and origins, and mentioning Greek as well there. And then a touch on the kind of world myth that we may come back to as well. Anna, turning to you, is there anything you more you'd say you want to add to that in terms of what Julia said?
2: Uh no, I agree with everything. And also I, I always say when they say, you know, why teach it? I say, why not? Like it's every it's everything, <laughs> it's for everyone. It's Um, And actually, I've been asked recently, a school asked if I would put together a letter for parents on the benefits of learning Latin, you know, they could incorporate to send out to parents. And everything that Julia said, I'd put in that letter. I mean, this is what Classics for All is about. It is for all. You know, you don't have to be a certain kind of student, you know, the brightest in any particular kind of school. It is for everyone. And it's, as you say, it's there's something for the mathematicians the linguists the the literature enthusiasts the historians the artists you know when you get to a level you can do greek art for example there's philosophy there's culture there's politics i mean it is it's everything for everyone and it as i said why not everyone should be doing it it's it's the curriculum we should all learn learn our curriculum through classics if we could that would be the best be <laughs> the solution
0: there is this perception that may be still around that when you say something like classics or latin that it's for the super bright scholars grammar schools doing classics i think there's that perception that that comes from latin and knowledge of latin and this exclusivity around it but what you're saying is really in the description of your your charity classics is for all in that sense so you get out yeah. there you you kind of um visit schools and when you're talking to them you obviously both of you get asked this question quite a lot why classics yeah um,
2: parents and parents evenings schools you know why should we be doing this why you know why is it a good idea
1: it's really hard sometimes to carve out that space like within the week for for classics for latin lessons so yeah it's just it it is it's a valid question that does come up all the time
0: and you've got to compete with that sense of what's important in a, in a crowded curriculum. And do you find you're always justifying your position in that curriculum all the time?
1: If you if you do start getting to grips with 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 the sort of morphology and, and syntax of Latin, it's only going to help you with your study of languages when you. So okay, you may not really see why you're you're learning the blue perfect or whatever it is but because you're doing it now if you go off and say actually i want to i want to learn chinese or i want to learn arabic or i want to really try and dive into another really complex language system you're going to be able to do it because you've taxed your brain with this at this early point exactly so can you tell
0: me can you tell me a little bit about about how that works because i can see how it might work for romance languages with which have their origin in latin such as italian or french but how does it work for something like Arabic? How do you transfer that, that learning and those skills?
1: Well, I've never actually tried to study Arabic. Um, but I have, um, I did Chinese in my gap year. And Anna, I have this real feeling that I, you and I were in a Sanskrit class together at SOAS.
2: We very well could have it, been. because, yeah, I,
1: I, It's very possible
2: because I did do Sanskrit at SOAS for a couple of years. Did, Jim, did you have
1: really this really like doc, Dr. Elizabeth Rikin?
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes, I, I did it. Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah, you look. i remember
1: you that's amazing so I just, memory I, <laughs> I think you look familiar but i couldn't think from where <laughs> it's when you said saint james it all came back to me mm. um so obviously obviously sanskrit is you know that, that's that's linked through greek and through latin this might just be my um my view my personal view but what what i really mean is because you're forcing yourself to be really flexible with how you think about language It means that you can apply those skills doesn't have to be because it's a romance language. You can just apply those language skills Mm. to another language. And that's just Mm. what I think. Yeah, I think you can build your problem solving abilities and and apply it elsewhere.
2: Yeah, just just to add to that, I think so. I've I've helped um, six form students with the Cambridge and Oxford, the aptitude language aptitude tests and everything. You understand from Latin, Greek, you know, any ancient language. You bet the languages they give them, like Romanian, Hungarian, these really kind of complex sort of languages that look really unfamiliar to us. Actually, if you, and they do made up languages as well, they'll make up a language. And if you, if you understand the basics of how a language like Latin and Greek work, you can get these languages. So you know to look out for the patterns it's all about pattern spotting and where are the so oh this word has changed like that there or that means it's this bit and that's that bit and it's it's that kind of you know so even um like you i've never tried to learn arabic but i imagine it's again similar there must you know there must be patterns in my way of approaching a language that looks unfamiliar is oh what are the patterns here oh that does that oh maybe it's because of this and you have this understanding of the way a language can work, which, you know, is fundamental to so many of these languages. And I wouldn't have it without learning classics. And it's and I mean I know that's why they do those language aptitude tests because they want the children to see if they can see if the signal can understand how a language works and look for those patterns. That's what they're looking for. You know, it does really help having those
0: those languages. And perhaps super important in a in a world when we which is even more globalised, where we need to communicate and learn more than one language. I say this as someone who doesn't know more than one language. My friend Ollie, who, Anna, I think you know, he's learnt Italian, German, French, and he has also learnt Chinese now. He says the same thing, which is that there's a process. He knows how to approach a language to learn it, and he also just has a system approaching it. So if we're kind of talking metacognition, it's almost applying... It's that process skill rather than the actual yeah. knowledge of the language.
1: It's that flexible thinking and and the and applying what you know and e- exactly as Anna says, just looking for the patterns. How are these words changing? What what do I need to spot? And yeah, having the confidence, I think, to do that. And well, do I think we think-
2: give a confidence in our own language as well. So
1: with etymology,
2: you know, you'll see a word, you're like, I not I don't know what that word means, but can I break it apart? And work out what bits of that word mean, because I know Latin or because I know Greek. And it's so many times like, oh, I think it must be something to do with this because I know that that bit, this bit of the word means whatever it does from Latin or Greek. Usually Latin for lots of words, unless it's subject specific. And so it, you know, it can really it gives confidence to say in you know in understanding English, as well as the other languages too.
0: Because English has, and I've only learned this through teaching English, but not through Latin or Greek, but English seems to have obviously a lot of roots in, in Latin and, and, and via French or Italian. But when you look at the spelling, sometimes there can be these weird spellings where there's a mix of a Latin root and a Greek root. Am I, am I right? In And you, I can't think of an example right now, but you get words which have a bit of both because somebody's decided to chop them and put them together to make this new word.
1: Television is one. Television.
0: yeah, oh, television. Television. <laughs> yeah so which I is think which that's
1: the famous one <laughs> yeah so telos is, is from greek and then vision comes from the latin so telos, like distance um and then vision from with they um i see i think and that's like, really... that is like the, the cliched example isn't it yeah
0: <laughs> this can really confuse english teachers who like me don't have a knowledge of latin or greek because you start going down this route of thinking i'm pretty sure this is a, a, a greek word and then you kind of go oh that sounds a little bit Latinish, Latinate. Um, and so you end up being a little bit unsure how to present it to children because, well, you know, in terms of etymology, you're kind mm. of, oh, I don't know. And that's probably where a Latin education would have been useful for me. I feel like we're, we were all probably coming through education around the same time. And certainly I remember distinctly the year I finished GCSEs was the year that my school brought in Latin again. And I and that was that would have been 1998, and I that was the beginning. I feel of a of a renaissance or a return to this uh, Latin and Greek classical education because this, the head had clearly decided it was been brought in, and it just I missed it by by two years. Was that your impression too that there was a 90s rebirth uh, after having some pretty appalling 70s and 80s kind of education strategies which just didn't ignored all of this entirely. And and was all about ditching it all and doing other stuff.
1: I feel like for for me, I, I, all the schools I went to, for, for whatever reason, just had a really robust tradition of of classics. So I think for me, I it, it, I didn't notice if there was a sort of take mm. up of it.
2: There's been a change them. in how it's taught. I think what did happen was probably yeah. in a a change of like basically the old method. I mean, we we did old school learning of Amoa Masamat's verb chanting. That is so true. And, you know, and that's what, then there was a shift. There was the old school, like Cambridge Latin course at secondary level, which came in, well, I think my husband said he used, and he was school a bit before us. um, It was like old little pamphlets, kind of old version of it. But then, in the sort of two thousands, certainly when I was doing my teacher training, it was the Cambridge Aachen Course, and mm. you know that was really the course that was being taught from sort of late, maybe late, maybe around that point, pretty much late nineties, early two thousands onwards, was the Cambridge Aachen Course, and that seems to have totally, I think that, to be honest, is probably a big like reason for the change in how, like the the yeah, rebirth well, of so Latin right. in schools. Um, yeah, because it became an accessible course. It was interesting. It was engaging. It was about real people. It yeah. was stories. It was pictures. There was the story of Pompeii th- uh, threaded throughout, like these the first book, and you know, it was it brought it to life.
1: Yeah, um, it was in context.
2: Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't just chanting verbs, learning vocab, doing prose—you know, Latin, uh, English into Latin. Mm. Which I mean, for me as a grammarian, like someone who loves the language and the whole logical puzzle side of it, I loved all of that. I don't mind that personally. But, yeah. You know, to engage a class, to engage all students, and make it more accessible, it it had to change. And I think, I think, yeah, I th- I it's think a really interesting answer. I've yeah. never thought about it like that, but I think probably the CLC is the Mm. I was never taught using it
1: but but girls at my school did had used it um because I joined just a little bit later and actually exactly like you Anna I was taught you know from the age of nine up but with no context I don't think anyone actually mentioned the Romans in in my first five years of learning Latin it probably just was understood because it was so it was pure language and and endings and chanting and learning and I absolutely loved it but there was no sense of you know, multimedia, oh, look, let's look at a picture of you know, nothing. Um, and I didn't mind. Um, but now I think if you were to try and deliver this completely kind of dry word-based uh, syllabus, it, it just wouldn't go down very well.
0: In that context, how important is storytelling and myth to the teaching of classics?
2: One thing I think about myth, personally, is, like, so, for example, I taught... This isn't exactly the myth itself, but this I taught Greek tragedy at A-level as part of the classical civilization A-level. And so we're looking at the plays, the ancient, you know, the stories. Obviously, a lot of them they're familiar with. I mean, it's a big pull into the classical world, you know, Percy Jackson, all of those kind of wonderful stories and the myths that engages people. Um, So the reason I brought up the Greek tragedy is... There was a play, Ajax, that they were studying, and it's about a man who commits suicide tragically. Um, he goes mad and then commits suicide. There was an incident in that in their class at the time where someone had, you know, very very tragically committed suicide, and it almost gave this safe space to talk about the issues that had happened, but in a way that was safe. I can't think of the right word to describe it, but it was, you know, that and same with other myths. You know, there's issues that come up to do with personal tragic issues, or there's, you know, myths of I don't know about adventures and challenges that people face. And children can sort of say, oh, that's like something in my own life. It's it's relatable to it's we can speak about and talk about aspects in our own lives through these myths, but in this way that's it's happening to them, but we can still understand it and Appreciate it, and maybe understand ourselves more by understanding what Odysseus went through, or you know his his Odyssey. His we can have our own Odysseys in our own
1: lives. Um, I agree uh, with Anna. It's very much uh, these archetypal figures, whether it's a, a god or a, or a quest or a monster or a, a particular hero. There's usually something that that children just they relate to it in some really deep way that sometimes they can't even explain and and you know as I said before I, I really make a point of going back to myth quite often even though it's no longer in the syllabus um, and it's now been moved into a sort of like separate classical civilization common entrance exam which can be taken but of course it's hard to find the time for it and I quite often just start by saying how old do you think myths are really think about this and then someone once said well mrs gray you probably did them at school so i'm going to say a hundred years um,
0: <laughs> that's great
1: but you have to go a little bit further back than that and you go back and back and they're like all right a thousand years okay let's keep going keep going and then i sort of show them the picture of the cave paintings at Lascaux, in the paleolithic era, and i'm and then trying to ex- explain that for as long as we've been able to communicate we've we've been uh coming up with these these stories as a way to try and explain life and death and what's happening all around and how the hero you know the hero stories possibly originated from these kind of ancient initiation rituals i mean we don't really know and because sometimes children are a little dismissive and like you know why do we have to do myth it's you know it's fake news someone said once and then gradually someone will be like oh but I've got a book at home, I'm going to bring it in or Oh, this one. And and you can sort of hear the excitement sort of build in the classroom. And then I try and get them to write their own versions of, you know, can you do an interview with Perseus? Or can you do a newspaper article about Theseus? And they love it. They love mm. it so much.
0: That makes me want to I do an interview with thing. Perseus.
1: <laughs> or like
0: i don't know have a trojan horse story where it's set in the modern age you can kind of imagine that uh how about we sneak into another school to have a prank or something and hide this gift that we're going to give them i don't know just like there's, there's stuff that yeah there's 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 a lot there isn't there that you could turn oh. into a, a story that you're going to write it's and the mix are
2: so fun they're just so cool and they're, you know, they, as you say, they were told two, five thousand, you know, two and a half, and they're still understandable. They're still enjoyable now. We can still, yeah. they're cool. Like, they're, yes, they're amazing really. stories, you know, Odysseus yeah. and the Cyclops and, you know, how he tricks the Cyclops and all these things. They're just, they're fun. The kids love it. It's story. I mean, everyone loves a story, don't they? And, exactly
1: you know, and they have endured for a reason and then the beauty yeah. of it is that you can they're not you can keep reworking them you can be your own author you 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 change it you know i think they just keep giving
0: mm. from an english perspective there's something about from lit- literature you've got when you're referencing something which is somewhere deep in your imagination that you've heard before like the trojan horse or whatever it is that you kind of half know as a child Maybe you don't, maybe you do, but um, I think quite a lot of children do come, do sort of come across these in some way. When you come across a story or a a poem or a piece of music that references that, there's something that tugs inside you, isn't there? You know, I'm thinking of maybe like um, the singer, Kay Tempest, who has done a lot of work with bringing these and putting them into a modern context. And of course, millions and millions of other artists and writers who work with them there is something that that, that speaks to us isn't there
2: Definitely.
0: yeah Julia you do some tutoring as well do you do you have a do you tutor um in latin greek classics
1: I do I do um but most most of what I do is 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 up to common entrance um but mm. I do support GCSE it's it's really funny um and a level it's it's really funny how it's um often like Version book two and I'm like oh yeah I did version book two <laughs> and here are my notes that I wrote. It's you know often those set texts just and mm. I'm sure you find this like they just don't change that much, do they? Mm. Um, no. Which is nice. well, they're not yeah. writing
0: anything new, are they? I mean, there's 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 not <laughs> they're not you're not waiting for the next installment <laughs> or no. whatever it is. <laughs> no, it's and been no, two thousand no. years. <laughs> why why or you know why hasn't anything new come out? Yeah. Um, no book thirteen I've,
2: of the Aeneid doesn't. No, no, is Someone that so? Are the, that.
0: are the twelve are the twelve books in the Aeneid?
2: Yeah. yeah, there are
0: great. Okay, this that sounds like a good a good number. I don't know why. Is that special?
2: There are twenty four in the Odyssey, twenty four in the yeah. Iliad, in the Iliad and 12. In, and the 12 Iliad. In,
0: the, in the in the Aeneid, Yeah, yeah. Anna, when it comes to Classics Fall and you're talking to schools, and you're talking to heads, and perhaps trusts. There's a lot of pressure on schools these days, particularly financially. And I know you don't charge for what you do. But there might be other knock-on impact they might be thinking about in terms of the of, of cost and, and other things, certainly time. Besides what we've already said about classics and why it's important, is there any other things that you speak about when talking to schools about why they should bring this in when there are so many other things out there that schools are under pressure to deliver?
2: I mean, I guess, yeah, sort of everything everything we've said. But in terms going back to your thing about the cultural capital, I think. And I think this is where, you know, one thing, if it's a secondary school subject we're talking about, you know, you talk about things like politics and our system of democracy started with the ancient Greeks. The Romans gave us so much of what we have in our country today. It's not dead we can go see these places. We can visit, you know, if, if there's a school, you know, and we have we have a number of schools up in the northeast near Hadrian's Wall, up near, you know, and Newcastle. You know, they can go visit the Roman Wall. They can go see Segedunum and go look at the forts and read inscriptions that were there. There's, you know, and gain a sort of understanding and appreciation of what life was like on the Roman Wall, on the on Hadrian's Wall, for example, or in a Roman fort.
0: I think and it's really exciting for children to do that, isn't it? I mean, hmm. to be able to to go to hadrian's wall having learnt about it would be yeah. completely different from going to see because it's not look my memory is it's not super impressive it's not like the great wall of china where no. you have this rather large edifice and it is spectacular hadrian's wall is a, a little a bit, bit broken one, a bit yeah. broken but yeah. if you know what it's there for and you understand it and you have context then it's going to it's going to change this but a bit of broken wall and something that's really rather magnificent mm.
2: Exactly. The other thing and in a way we sort of touched on it before, but it is just inherently fun. I mean, that's my other big sell to people. It's fun to learn it. You know, why wouldn't you want to learn about the Romans and the Greeks and their language and you know, you see an inscription on a wall in England or, you know, in a Roman site in England or in, you go to get to go to Pompeii and you see something written on a wall. You know what that means. You can translate mm. it and you actually know what an ancient person wrote 2000 years ago. Why isn't that fun? Like, it's amazing. You know, it's not like something distant. And, you know, there's a real Roman wrote that on that wall and you can read it. And you can understand what they wrote two thousand years ago. sort it unlocks the whole past for us, which is wonderful. yeah, often yeah. by I'll, I'll be honest, actually often by the time a school has decided to do classics and they've that's when they've come to us they want to do it and they ask us for the help we're often lucky that by the time i end up talking to teachers they're already all the heads or whoever it might be they're they've they've already bought into it they're already like we want Mm. to do this how can you help Mm. us how can we do it what what do we do
0: yeah so you're not you're 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 talking to people who are already in and sold and and want your help uh julia turning to you i uh, you're we've mentioned at the beginning you're an author as well as um, a teacher as well as a musician one of your books I believe The Other Life is based on Norse myths I know this is something that doesn't necessarily come into classics how much do you think you were influenced by your background as a classics teacher into inspired to to write this book or perhaps other things that you've written maybe inspired by by classics
1: weirdly um, when I was uh, at school I had a a teacher who just who who was quite left field and just decided that a whole year had to be spent teaching Norse mythology to cool. to his class, probably in English lessons. I'm guessing, and and we did such a deep dive into it. He was a very special teacher to me, and he uh, very sadly he died um, at the age of 42 on the last day of of year eight, just on the very last day as we were leaving school. And it made this really had this really profound uh, impression on me and my friends and i think it stayed with me yeah. as i was growing up and i when i came to write my first book I, I went back to these two things which was the death of a teacher um which features in the book i can't remember if you've read it um and Enough. um yes and and norse and the world of the norse gods and i've always been very interested you know we're talking about what myth gives us in reworkings that that have an interface between mythology and contemporary life and, and and where that seam is um between the two so you can have a sort of contemporary setting but actually there is this doorway there's there's something beyond it um and so you know it, it, it wasn't classics so much as 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 a love of the way that myth can be reworked in modern storytelling that sort of led me to write the book but because i set it at a very conventional very traditional boys prep school where I've got these two boys who are doing scholarship, there is then quite a lot of Latin in the book because they're sitting there and they're learning the sort of passive <laughs> subjunctive and it's all very rote learning and so, so weirdly a lot of Latin did make its way um, into the book as well. Mm.
0: And it, yeah it probably couldn't help it, it seeped in from sort of like your everyday life and it is yeah. it's such a wonderful evocation of, of, of that life where if I remember you know that it can be quite a stuffy sort of element to to sometimes these these schools quite sort of constricting, um, and yet that element of the myth does bring it into this magical world that's you know is so wonderful for children's and young adult fiction that that changes everything for those characters
1: exactly actually that crisis because i was what i was trying to explore um, and this is very much not my own experience of teaching now but certainly my memory of, of certain sort of school experiences in the past was of pressure being under huge amounts of pressure and and it was having that valve the ability to the release of going into a kind of world that was the world of the norse gods uh, it's quite hard to explain without giving the whole plot of the book but it was those things in tandem that interested me so much a boy who's under so much pressure that actually weirdly the only way that he can kind of escape it is by looking through a window and suddenly seeing a little glow of thor's hammer in the sort of in the distance the two things i think go really well together because myth is is such a vital escape route or could be
0: mm. So yes, that's The Other Life, Julia Gray. You should go out and get it if you're listening Um, and all of her books, which are all fantastic. So we're kind of coming towards the end now, but before we finish, because this is an education podcast and we are looking at things that perhaps are wider than the topic we are talking about at the moment, which is classics, I wanted to ask both of you, Anna and Julia, what is exciting you at the moment, which could be something about your work or something that you're reading or interested in Perhaps that might relate to education, but it could just be loosely um, that we could tell our listeners about. So, Anna, starting with you, what what is what is exciting you at the moment?
2: I, I have to say, I love etymology. I absolutely love it. I, I... I wasn't
0: expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I was expecting that.
2: I love etymology. I love like being a total nerd with words, and you know, if I love doing the word roots, helping teachers with all the word roots. When we do, you know, looking at the Latin text, I do a lot of primary school training um, and looking at, it like, oh, here's this word. This is like our word in English and et cetera, et cetera. You know, when you see teachers kind of go, oh, that's where that comes. Oh, that's, you know, you see the click with them and it's like. Yes, exactly. This is why it's so brilliant, all of this. So I I love, yeah, I love finding out about all of that. I did, when I was at university, in my first year, I did a course on Proto-Indo-European linguistics, which basically compares ancient languages and kind of goes back to the root of those languages. And just kind of seeing the similarities between all these ancient languages as well, and then seeing them in our language, and it it makes it, as I love it. Um, a little thing you know little things that's my kind of real interest and i lo- i mean i love with work when we get you know a new school wanting to join us and wanting to come into the fold of classics from like yes another school's come on yay there's a school that i've known i've known them since 2015 they came in and observed some lessons from me and my colleague when we were teaching in our in our old school and they they got they they got latin going and they've now just introduced Latin A level for the first time in the school, in the state school in Croydon. To see that development and growth in the school, it's just, it's wonderful because it means the subject is really embedded and those children, you know, the students are getting such a fantastic classical education. You know, when I see, you know, a school come to us with pupil premium of over 40%, free school meals over 40%, EAL over 60%, you know, you think, wow, this is such a fantastical opportunity for these for these children you know a lot of primary schools in the east midlands some of them then sort of the really socially deprived areas you know coming to us for to get some latin going in their school or something it's just it's really really exciting and wonderful to see that these
0: children are going to get this opportunity do you just because we do have quite a few listeners from outside of the uk do classics for all work internationally at all or is it only uk based at the moment
2: we're uk based um mm. We as the charity Classics for All we work within the UK
0: yeah um, that's your remit to sort of to focus remit, on UK yeah. UK uh, mainstream schools yeah. great well I'm sure that uh, lots of people will be having a look at Classics for All website and getting a sense of what you do and uh, your passion for it is just really inspiring Julia what are you what are you interested and excited about at the moment
1: so I think I'll give you an answer that's based on Latin teaching in the classroom, um, because I've, you know, I've seen it. This is my 15th year of being a Latin teacher. So I've had to sort of see how it's evolved. And what I find quite interesting is finding new ways. I'm not particularly technological, but new ways to use technology to teach Latin and I think some of these things we adopted during COVID because we were working on Zoom and, you know, it was just about how can I, how can I keep the engagement of my students, you know, I'm not in the classroom with them, I can't be running around putting worksheets in front of them, but how can I um, still get them excited about learning vocab or studying or translating, or whatever it is. And so using things like Quizlet as a platform for learning vocab and it, which is a fairly new discovery for me, which is a sort of game, of, very gamified version of Kahoot. The children love it, but I also re- notice how much stronger their vocab skills are getting and I try and challenge myself to, to see how I can use these apps and these platforms to kind of really develop their vocab knowledge and their grammar knowledge and you know it's not just within the classroom but you know a head of classics at a school in Richmond hosted an interschools latin vocab competition and there must have been like 120 um, year 8 pupils there and they were all sitting on ipads in silence doing Quizlet live. Wow. And it was amazing. So just just to look at the interface between technology and something like Latin mm. and see how you can use it to facilitate teaching and learning is something that I actually find quite exciting because makes them so happy at the end of the lesson.
0: And it's it's similar to what we were talking about earlier, which is that, that mix of the, the contemporary and the ancient. And it always feels something valuable about that. What can we learn from the past and what can we bring from our present? Uh, what was the, I know about... Quizlet what was the other app you mentioned look it look it
1: like with an L but they've moved the L got it look it and it's like I actually don't use Kahoot it's very like Kahoot but Mm. you know you can you can import your data sets your questions whatever it is you've got and then you can play a lot of different games you can set homework the children love it and it's actually quite fun
0: yeah (laughs) we love games and kids do too that's great i think that's probably all we have time for i'm going to say thank you so much anna and julia for giving up your time on a saturday to talk to me thank you for being here Thanks.
2: thank, thank you. you so much. Really thank fun. You for
0: <laughs> me. you've been listening to episode one of season two the rest is education with me david marshall talking to julia gray and annabelle about classics while you're waiting for the next episode to come out you might like to go back and listen to episode 12 of season one, in which I talked to Lucy Crahan about the PISA results and why they're so important. With the PISA results due to be released on the 5th of December, 2023, it's a good time to go back into Lucy's predictions, listen to her tell us all about them. Please keep listening to The Rest is Education, and please keep telling us on email or on Instagram all your thoughts about it.